My name is Paul Hamm. I'm the Church Start resident uh, here at Urban Village Church, also one of the pastors. I've The last three months, I've been visiting some of the other sites and taking some vacation time. So I haven't been here for a while. And when I walked in, I was like, where am I? It's like an airport uh, terminal. Last time I was here, there was like these Rorschach tests, eight black ink blots uh, all over the wall. So um, this is kind of a cool and interesting, weird place to be here today. But I'm glad I'm here. I feel at home here at Wicker Park. And I'm glad that you're here with us today as well. Uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks uh, as we gather here today. We ask that the power of your spirit would move within our hearts and our minds. Would you open us up so that as we examine this ancient scripture, that we would see its relevance here and now today. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is... Uh, the Sunday before Easter. Historically, it's the Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and people had their palm leaves, and they waved the palm leaves, and they threw their cloaks on the street as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Now, um, Palm Sunday, uh, the story, I've heard it interpreted many different ways throughout my life. And I've heard these different interpretations and these different takes on the story. And while there's a common thread across the three stories, uh, so these interpretations oftentimes also con contradicted each other as well. So I thought, wait a second. I thought Palm Sunday was about this, but it's really about that. And so today, I want to share three interpretations of our scripture reading that we read today. And uh, there is no... There isn't necessarily the right interpretation, because that's what interpretation is. It's just a take on the story. And then we're going to take time to pause and think about these three interpretations of our scripture reading today. And so I've named these different interpretations of Palm Sunday. And they're my, they're my titles. Um, I, I just sort of made them up as they encapsulate the theology and the message that uh, I got from each of these interpretations. So the first uh, interpretation of Palm Sunday is what I call the personal salvation story. In the personal salvation story, Jesus, he is the son of God. He pre-existed all of creation. He's part of the Holy Trinity, but Jesus was born as a man, as a human, and lived on this earth for 33 years. And Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it symbolizes the idea that although he is God, that he did not come to earth as a king or as a rich ruler, but that Jesus came to be a humble servant. So the donkey represents this idea that Jesus came to be with the people. Now, in the personal salvation story of Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people have their palms, and they're waving, Hosanna, Hosanna. And one of the interpretations, translations of Hosanna means, save us, help us. The question is, from what? And I think there's two answers to that question. I think one of the answers to that question is, people want to be saved 
from themselves, from the personal demons that we have, our personal struggles, from the things that bind us, from the things that upset us, from the things that hurt us, from the addictions that we cannot break. And so for thousands of years, people have cried out and called on the name of Jesus, and people have found incredible freedom and new life from bondage. I remember about 15, maybe like 20 years ago, when I was still living in New York, I was at this pizza restaurant. I was in youth group like in high school, and I had a church t-shirt on, and this guy taps me on the back, and I turn around, and he says, I notice you're wearing a Christian t-shirt. He says, do you go to church? And I'm like, yeah, I go to church. And he says, well, if you're ever in this area, he says, you should come to my church. He says, I was a drug addict for 10 years, and when I started going to this church, God just flipped my life around. And I remember this story. It was so powerful because here's this guy openly admitting to a complete stranger, a teenager, that he was a drug addict for 10 years. And there was something about the power of God working in Jesus that not only flipped his life around, but enabled him to share that good news. And so there's this idea that Jesus is saving us here and now, salvation here and now. Every time I hear the story of somebody in AA and coming out of recovery, that's salvation here and now. The second part of help us, save us, Hosanna, is this idea that we live in a world and it's totally unjust. This world is totally corrupt. And depending on where you were born and who your parents are, um, that's pretty much going to dictate uh, what your life is going to be like. This idea that we live in a meritocracy is totally bogus. Because if you grow up in America, in the rich white suburbs, it's going to be very different than if you grew up in sub-Saharan Africa in a war-torn country. So where is the justice? What if you're born as an orphan? You never have access to health care or education. And you die a miserable death either by war or disease. Where is the justice? Where is the fairness? And the idea that Christians, develop, Christians and Jews developed over thousands of years was that if there is no justice in this life, then there is justice, there is hope, there is peace in the life eternal. And so that friend, that family, that member, that loved one who was so beautiful and the last three, four, five years of their life was just plagued with terminal illness, and they, their body just withered away. And that's not how you want to remember them. That's not, that's not representative of their whole life, that perhaps if not in this physical world, then there is new life in the next life. And so Jesus ushers in a cosmic change in the fabric of our reality, so that if not in this life, that we might be able to be reunited and to experience peace and justice in the next life. So salvation is for the here and now, but salvation is also for the life eternal. And so Jesus, he enters into Jerusalem. He is crucified on the cross. And what does that mean? In the salvation story, it's the idea that we don't have to be afraid whether God is going to punish us, whether God is angry with us, whether God is going to smite us, whether God is looking down on us and writing down all of the things that we screw up on in, in God's little ledger. Because when Jesus dies on that cross, 
It's the final, uh, it's the final sacrifice. The price is paid. You never have to worry about where you stand with God because Jesus answered that question once and for all. And so it's this idea that Jesus rides into Jerusalem so that he will finish his ministry on earth on the cross and so that you and I will never have to live in fear of God. This is one of the powerful stories of Palm Sunday. It's the first chapter in the Holy Week story. That's the first story. The second story is what I like to call the uh, social revolution story of Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday takes place at the beginning of the Passover festival. And Passover is when all of the Jewish people, they celebrate their exodus from Egypt. So if you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, the animated movie, or you ever saw the classic with Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments, um, or if you like bad movies, maybe you saw that Christian Bale movie about gods in Egypt where it's an entirely white cast, even though it takes place in northern Africa and everyone should be black. Um, I don't know. I didn't see the movie. Maybe that movie is awesome. I don't know. But it's the story of these Israelites that were enslaved and oppressed in Egypt for 400 years, and through God's mighty hand, God delivers these people out of slavery and out of bondage, out of oppression, and that God sends them into the promised land with their leader, Moses. That's what Passover is celebrating. And so Palm Sunday is the first Sunday of Passover. It's a celebration about liberation from the oppressors. Now, in, during Jesus' time, the Israelites, they were ruled by the Roman Empire. They were essentially slaves of Rome. And so while they're celebrating Passover, in their minds they're saying, telling themselves, well, when are we going to have our Moses, and when is our Moses going to lead us out of the bondage of oppression, out of the bondage of Rome, and bring us into the new promised land and to reestablish our own kingdom? Now the Roman government, they, they know their history. They know their Jewish history. And so each year at Passover, when 100,000 Jews gather in the city of Jerusalem, the Roman Empire understands that this is like a powder keg. Because if those 100,000 people decide to revolt, then there's going to be trouble. So the governor of, Israel, of the, uh, Judea, the Judean area, his name is Pontius Pilate. And he uh, has a show of force. So he brings in reinforcement troops to the city of Jerusalem. And so from the west side of the city, he marches in hundreds and hundreds of infantrymen soldiers. They're armed with swords and spears. Uh, there are people who are holding like these intimidating symbols of power with the eagle on it. And then men ride in on horseback with even heavier weapons, even heavier armor. And Pilate rides in majestically on his horse. And he's sending the clear message. You can celebrate Passover all you want. You can do all of your religious festivals and have all your little meals. That's cool. You can pray to your God. That's all right. But the moment that you try to revolt against Rome, we will crush you. The modern-day equivalent would be like if you were downtown in Chicago and down Michigan Avenue comes a hundred, uh, hundreds of uh, 
like Marines with assault rifles, followed by armored tanks, and then you see like fighter jets and drones swirling above the city of Chicago. You would say, that's a little crazy, that's a little overkill. And that's precisely what Pilate is doing in Jerusalem from the west side of the city. Now on the east side of the city, there is this poor, homeless, but very powerful rabbi named Jesus. And he's got a little posse. And he decides, to, uh, he decides to stage his own sort of social protest because Jesus is a social prophet. And so he rides in from the east side of the city. And so as Pilate is riding in from the west, Jesus rides in from the east. Pilate rides in on a horse, which represents power and military might. And Jesus rides in on a, a donkey. Now the donkey represents the everyman the working man. The donkey is the counterpoint to the horse. He is making a powerful and subversive political statement. He is saying that, you know what? That I stand with the oppressed. And he makes an even more powerful statement that God stands with the oppressed. Jesus knows what he's doing. He is staging like a political protest. He's saying that we don't agree with what Rome is doing. He says, I'm not going to fight you, but I'm sure, I'm sure as heck not going to comply with you either. And so the story of the social revolution is Jesus spends the whole week in Jerusalem staging all kinds of prophetic acts of disturbance. He goes into the temple and he flips the table with the money changers. There's like a fig tree, he curses it and the fig tree immediately withers and dies and he challenges the religious institution, he challenges the political institution and he knows that he is not going to leave Jerusalem alive. He knows that it's the last week of his life and he knows that there is only one fate for him and that is the fate on the cross. And he's okay with that. Because Jesus is willing to die. Like all great revolutionaries, he is willing to put his life on the line as a martyr. Because he knows that his death will spark the movement to the next level. See, when Jesus was walking here on this earth, his disciples um, numbered the number of disciples he had was 12. It was only after he died that Christianity became an, a religion that, that boomed. And so like all social revolutionaries, he knew that his death would ignite that. And he was sending the powerful message that God is the God of the oppressed. God is not the God of the oppressors. Now, if you're oppressed, this is good news. If you are part of the oppressive class, it's not good news for you. This is the social revolution story of Palm Sunday. The third story is what I call the radical peace story. Amidst all this political unrest in Jerusalem, there is a growing group of people within the walls of the city who are getting ready to revolt, who are getting ready to overthrow the Roman Empire, and they want to take their city back by any means necessary. But they're looking for a leader to unite them. They're looking for the Jewish Messiah. Now, Christianity, we use the term Messiah to, 
to talk synonymously with Jesus, but the term Messiah in Judaism is a pretty ubiquitous term. It's a term used for a military, political, or spiritual leader. So there were many messiahs, and there are many messiahs. And that's not, that's not heresy. That's just, that's just what it is. And so they're looking for a messiah that will lead and organize the people and that who will lead them against the powers of the Roman Empire. Now these people are in the city of Jerusalem. They're celebrating the Passover festival, and they hear through the, they hear through, uh, you know, the vine that this very powerful and very popular prophet, teacher named Jesus, is entering the city from the east side. They've heard that this Jesus, um, ha this Jesus can perform all kinds of miracles and that he has a great following. And so the people line the streets on the east side of Jerusalem with their palms, and they're waving the palms, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. These people are not saying, save us from our sin, save us from hell. These people are waving their palms, saying, save us from the Roman Empire. Save us from this world and the situation that we live in. They want Jesus to rally the people and to lead them. And so Jesus rides in on this donkey, and the scripture doesn't say that he said, yeah, and like, you know, high-fived people and gave the thumbs up. Jesus says, uh, the scripture says, as he rode into the city, and he saw all these people waving their palms, shouting Hosanna, the story says that Jesus wept. And he wept because he knew what would happen when the people would revolt against the Roman Empire. Uh, this, all of this Palm Sunday, it happens around the year roughly 30, 33, maybe 40. In the year 67, uh, the Jewish people would actually unite in Jerusalem, and they would actually drive out all of the Romans uh, out of the city. They would fortify their walls, and they would take back Jerusalem. And while it seemed like, yeah, we got our city back, it's a victory. The Roman Empire organized from the outside and for the next four years sieged the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has three walls, concentric walls, and they systematically destroyed all the walls. Then they marched into the middle of the city, and then they destroyed the, the Temple of God, which was 400 years old. We don't even have 400-year-old buildings in the U United States. The Roman Empire levels the city of Jerusalem kills and crushes everyone. And so Jesus, he saw the writing on the walls. He knew that these people who wanted victory, that in the end, that they would lose everything. Because when you are looking for victory, um, there's a victor, but then there's always a loser. When you're looking to win, it means you always win at the expense of somebody else. This is what happens when you value being right over valuing relationships. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if anyone uses like something called social media. I heard it's like really popular with like millennials these days and 
baby boomers, but when I go on my little Facebook wall feed, all I see are uh, posts about politics, about how uh, Democrats are morons, and how Republicans are morons, and how everyone is a moron, and who, who's moving to Canada, and who's happy that that person is moving to Canada because they're a moron. Um, I see Republicans calling other Republicans morons. I see Democrats calling other Democrats morons. I see people posting about how my coworker is such an idiot. I see people posting about, I was at Starbucks the other day and I saw this moron doing this moronic thing. This sense that, that I am right, this sense that you are wrong, this sense that me being right is more important than me being in any type of relationship with you. It's this idea that that I am me and you are you, and, and I don't care what happens to you as long as I'm right. And so for Jesus, he's in the middle, he's crushed between these two opposing parties of the Roman Empire and of his own people, and they just basically want to kill each other and dominate each other. And the story of radical peace says is that Jesus is not willing to participate in that arguing battle, going back and forth, back and forth. Instead, Jesus, he preaches this message where he says, your enemy, you should love them. Oh, that person that really hurt you, you should post about them on Facebook. No, he says, that person that hurt you, you got to forgive them. Oh, that Roman oppressor that made you carry their backpack for one mile, you should carry it another mile. Radical, radical peace. Jesus is not willing to participate in violence of any kind. Now, when I say violence, people say, yeah, like, you know, physical violence. Like, I'm not going to break, you know, I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm not punching anyone. I'm not breaking property. That's physical violence. But I think violence can also be verbal violence. I think it could be emotional violence. I think it could be psychological violence. And I think you can even cyberbullying as a form of violence. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Prince of Peace, man. I don't participate in violence of any kind. And so in the radical peace story of Palm Sunday, the Romans want to kill Jesus. And guess what? Eventually, the Jewish people want to kill Jesus too. Because when Jesus is on trial, Pilate says, who do you want me to free? Do you want me to free Jesus, the king of the Jews, or do you want me to free Barabbas, the political dissident? Barabbas has no problem speaking his mind. And the Jewish people, Jesus' own people, they say, we want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. He's not one of us. He's not willing to participate in our battle for righteousness. He's kind of like this weird dude, like standing in the middle. And so everybody wants to kill Jesus. And so in that Palm Sunday story, in the story of nonviolence, Jesus does not participate in any violence. Instead, he is the recipient of all of the violence. And if you've ever been stuck in an argument between two people, like two family members or two friends, and you 
you just don't want to take sides, but you just wish they can get along together, you know that being in that place in the middle, trying to be a peacemaker, can be totally isolating. You know how difficult that is. That's the story of radical peace. Now, I've told you three stories. There isn't a right story. There isn't a better story. All three of these stories, um, you hold them together. While there's commonality, there's also contradiction. And so uh, in TV and film culture, they call this the Rashomon effect. It's based on a famous movie by Akira Kurosawa, where there's one story, but he tells it from multiple, per four different perspectives. And all the people, all the TV critics, and all of, even the actors in the film, they kept going to Kurosawa, the director, and they said, which one of these four stories is the true story? Which one is the right story? And Kurosawa says, there is no right story. This is an exercise. This is an exercise in the exploration of multiple perspective and multiple realities. Now, for each and every one of us here today, we might resonate with one of these stories more than the others. We might resonate with two. We might not resonate with any of these three, and we might have our own version of the Palm Sunday story. But I think, but what I challenge all of you here today, and for myself as well, is I challenge us to, from the lure of having a one-dimensional perspective about life. The Lord, the Lord God knows that Paul Ham loves to be right. <laughs> I do. I love to argue. I love to argue. I'm like a youngest child. Like, I love to be a brat and argue. I love to think that I am right and you are wrong. But the challenge is to look at life and the world, God and spirituality, faith and politics, work from not only our own perspectives, but from the perspectives of others, especially those that we might disagree with. It's in this strange place where we hold together all of these multiple realities, these multiple views, is where we truly become people of inclusivity and inclusive faith. You're not really inclusive if you're only inclusive of other people that agree with you, right? You got to embrace everybody. And so my challenge as we um, move into Holy Week, as we think about Palm Sunday, as we think about Easter, my challenge for all of you today is as you walk out of this place, have a conversation with someone that you totally disagree with. Don't argue. Don't, um, don't point out the flaws in their logic. Just listen and ask yourself, I wonder why they're coming from this perspective. You might not even have to share your own perspective, but just listen. Because there is no right or wrong. It's all about building that relationship together. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, uh, we are here celebrating Palm Sunday thousands and thousands of years later. And, and God, whether it's because um, much time has passed, 
we don't even really knew we don't even really know what happened but we know that it was a powerful day when you entered into the city of Jerusalem and that you began the final chapter of your life and your journey in ministry God we know that it was your journey to the cross We know that it was a painful and difficult place to be in. We know that there were all kinds of contentious forces and uh, opposing sides with different views and arguments. And in some ways, God, we still live in that world. And so we ask that as you were the Prince of Peace, as you were the Savior, as you were the social revolutionary and prophet in those difficult and tumultuous times, Oh God, we ask that we might be your disciples and that we might be able to uh, navigate these difficult times today as well. We ask that your spirit would move within us. We ask that your spirit would challenge us to view the world through uh, different eyes and different lenses this week. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.